Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3-133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline 337-706-0111. The first segments of each hour and maybe one other one. There's a lot of interviews today. We'll be talking a lot of Cajun basketball. Uh, which is fitting because the Cajuns are going to be playing in two days in Orlando, Florida in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But if you remember on yesterday's show, what did you hear first? We said, get rid of Jeff McNeil. Well, who's going to play second base? Well, move Anderson to second base. And last night, what happened? Anderson played second base for the first time in his career. I said, well, just move Anderson to second base. Just get that McNeil cat out of there. You know, he ain't even look like he's ready to play. And 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 and, uh, and they, they got McNeil out of there. They move Anderson to second base, crushed the little Canadians, just crushed them. So now they just need, I think... I mean, I they got all these weird tiebreakers. Win ERA. If they beat Columbia, they're in. Yes, winning in, winning in. Now Columbia beat Mexico, who crushed Jeff McNeil and company a couple nights ago. But uh, Columbia lost to Great Britain yesterday, so Columbia must be out of pitching. I'm thinking because Great Britain's been getting their face crushed. So. Not, you know, it wasn't looking real good yesterday because I was thinking even if they win, beat Canada, will they be able to beat, win the tiebreaker? Now, the tiebreaker in head-to-head is run scored, but the other big tiebreaker is ERA. Now, in two of the three games, they only gave up one run, but the other game, they gave up 11. And with some generous scoring, there weren't that many unearned runs scored, even though there were plays that should have been made, but they weren't made including one by Arnado. But um, got all over Mike Trout. He hit a three-run homer. So, I mean, I, I'm taking full credit for that victory last night. Full credit. Sometimes you just, sometimes you got you to gotta get on them a little bit to make them perform. They, you know, they get a little lackadaisical. Got to stay on them. And you got to get rid of guys like Jeff McNeil, who obviously, I don't know what that guy, he's just not ready to play period. So we'll see what plays out there. Um, The Dominican team and Venezuela and Puerto Rico, they all had their moments. So we'll see what happens in those. But I I thought I got, I got a kick out of that. And the beauty of it, they were up 12 to one so fast. I wasn't tempted to stay up later than I needed to stay up because those games a lot, they don't start till nine o'clock. It's just too late, too late. All right. I know you I mean yesterday was a I knew it was going to be a fairly big day but it seemed like it was a really big day. I don't it was all kind of movement in the NFL yesterday. Um Gus 
who we are nicknamed for Anyamata on this show. Um, not very good two years ago. Terrible last season. So, I mean, there was some talk about re-signing him, but I'm like, I don't know. I mean, if they'd have re-signed him at a cheaper deal, I'd have been okay with, I guess. But again, he's been bad for two years. Very disappointing. I mean, somebody's going to give him $12 million. $12 million. I had high hopes for him. Major disappointment the last two years, Gus. Um, you know, Davenport has been a major bust. Of you know, you you held out hope for him, but I mean, he's been he's done nothing. It's been a major bust. It's not you can't consider that a loss. I mean, Anyamata was, Gus was just terrible. It's like, he made a play at the end of the year. I'm like, where does that been all for the last two years? Just very disappointing. So, I, I mean, it's hard for me to get upset about losing players that haven't done anything. Like, Shy Tuttle was not good last year. He didn't have a good year. He was not good. Like, if players are bad and then you lose them, there's no reason to get upset about it. Now, Caden Ellis is different. I was hoping to to sign, re-sign Ellis, but guys like Ellis who are seventh-round picks, part-time players, who get an opportunity to play largely because of injury last year and do really well. And look, he played really well. I would love to have had him back. But he's just going to make some money. You got some organization like the Falcons who have a lot of money and they want to try to make a – I hate that it's the Falcons, but it is what it is. I mean, um, he's a seventh-round player that would have been a backup if everyone was healthy, and he played really nice – and he made a lot of money for himself. So other than, I mean, if he wouldn't be going to the Falcons, I'd say good for him. I really wish they could have signed. I mean, I would have loved to have had him, and mainly because I didn't want to, I don't, I didn't want to have to address that position. You still have your two starters, but one of them uh, missed quite a bit of time last year, so it kind of worries you. You hope he's not injury prone because he is a little on the smaller side in Werner. So, you know, I don't – it's not like they have to go spend a lot of money for a backup linebacker, but it is something they're going to probably have to address at some point, either mid to late round in the draft or or in free agency. So we'll see how how that plays out. But, no, I mean, the Saints did not – lose anything of great value but they did lose Ellis and I was hoping to keep them uh, Gus and Davenport and Tuttle they they were terrible last year terrible like you know it's just it is what it is I mean you, you can't get upset when terrible players leave your organization especially if somebody's crazy enough to give them money now I guess I understand the the thought process of Davenport is so pretty, which, you know, the Saints were enamored with him, but he's never, like, he didn't do anything all of last season. 
you know, he shows all this potential in camp, but then he never does anything. So, you know, that is what it is. Um, the Jameis thing, you know, I and I think most of you just assume that Jameis and Dennis Allen didn't get along, didn't see eye to eye for whatever reason. Jameis had made those comments during this in midseason that made it seem like he wasn't happy and he disagreed with the decisions that were being made. And I wanted Jameis to be the starting quarterback last year, and he wasn't. And so I, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to give up on that deal. And I think he really likes it in New Orleans. He likes his teammates. But I don't really know. I'm just totally confused by that whole situation. Because now he signed as a backup, which I'm glad I like Jameis and I like having a veteran backup. But he's he's the backup for a quarterback that who has a history of playing every game. I, I don't I don't know. That whole situation I don't get. Now you gotta have a backup. What did he sign? One year, eight million. I mean, that's kind of expensive for a backup, but I guess that's fairly normal. I mean, well, is that about what Dalton got last year when he I, signed? I think for? it's close. It's also four with the possibility of getting up to eight, and I don't know if those incentives. I mean, if they're performance based, obviously he's not likely to do it because he's not going to play. Yeah. If everything goes well, so I don't know what the what the incentives are, but may, maybe they're maybe they're just like roster base if he's. Hmm. On the roster and healthy, he'll get that extra. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was a strange decision. I I, I guess he I didn't mean, have again. Other I'm offers. not upset about it. I'm just confused. Yeah, by it. I mean, I again, I guess he didn't. I guess he kind of surveyed the market and he didn't see a better situation. That's the only thing I can think of. And I do think he likes it in New Orleans. Um, and so, you know, the, sometimes we don't think about family, and you know, players have families and they have whatever churches or friends or whatever that they that they're involved with that can impact their decisions that we only think football and money so we don't know what goes into you know decisions that athletes make but no I I really thought he he was gone so and I like Jameis and so I'm glad he's here although you know I if if you'd have given as much as I wanted Jameis to be the quarterback, and I did, now that they have a quarterback, like if you'd have told me you can have Jameis or Ellis, I would have taken Ellis just because you would have had to then go get a backup quarterback, which is not always the easiest thing. It's not tough, but um, you know I would have preferred Ellis, but Ellis is you know wanted to go make money, and that's part of that's part of the deal, you know, go m- making the money. So um, you know we'll. The Saints made the first big splash by getting a quarterback. And the other things that they need are probably not going to be real splashy. So, you know, it, we're going to have to wait and see what happens in terms of whether they get a defensive tackle or whether they can get a veteran running back. I'd like to get one. I still would, you know, it doesn't have to be in free agency. It could be in the draft, but I'd still like to get an insurance policy I mean, to assume that Plastic Man is going to play and be healthy, even if he decides to stay, which it's looking that way. But even if he, even if that it really plays out that way, and he decides to stay in New Orleans, well, you, you still can't count on him being healthy. He hasn't been healthy in three years, so you you, you got to get a, an insurance policy, whether it's a Hollands, like some people have suggested, or or draft a um, 
a wide receiver, but they've got to get a possession-type wide receiver. They've got to be able to convert third and two and third and three with guys who can catch the ball in traffic. I mean, they have to get that. So there's time. But, no, there's no reason to even be upset. Now, you might say, man, I wish Ellis would have stayed, and me too. But other than that, I mean, the other guys were not very good at all the last two years, so there's no reason to be upset at all. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, a treat for me and hopefully for you, former UL, well, then when he coached, USL basketball coach Bobby Pascal, talking Cajun basketball on the other side. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. And we're going to have a very special treat for me and hopefully some longtime UL basketball fans out there. Former Cajun basketball head coach, Bobby Pasco. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing very well. I'm about to head to Florida. I'm assuming you're still living in Florida, correct? Oh, yeah. So, uh, Cajuns um, got to, you know, won the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, going to Florida. Are you going to be able to attend the game? I'm not sure uh, if I'm going to be able to be there or not, but if I'm not there, uh, I'll definitely be watching it uh, on TV. I've I've tried to catch every game that's possible uh, that they play on TV during the regular season and – Certainly, I'll be watching, and uh, and and hopefully, I'll be watching on Saturday uh, as well. Absolutely, hopefully that they'll be playing Saturday, right? Ho- hopefully, so I agree. So, it had to be, you know. First of all, it has to be fun to see two of the players that you coach have sons on the team, and uh, and Wayne Julian's son. Kobe and Deion Brown's son, Jordan. So is that kind of made it an extra treat for you to watch the team play? Oh, yeah, no question about it. it, it it's uh, uh, very exciting, and it's uh, exciting to me to see how invested in their uh, sons that the, uh, Dion and uh, Wayne are and uh, how, mu- how much they care about them and how much they support them. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's definitely a treat. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I look out there and uh, they both look so much like their fathers. You know, it's, uh, it's almost like a, a redo, you know. So for those, you know, I was there, I was in middle school and high school during those years and, and certainly remember rooting for them and, and screaming and hollering. So I remember them. For, for those who don't really have a, a firm idea of what kind of players Wayne and Dion were, let us know a little bit about from what you remember from them. 
Well, they they both were uh, very good players, and uh, they they both played uh, inside, and uh, they both had uh, very effective uh, uh, careers. I, uh, I think at that uh, time, uh, Dion held a uh, school rebounding record uh, uh, for a career for a long time, and uh, Wayne, uh, I believe, had uh, up in uh, uh, maybe around 900 points, and I don't, and quite a number of rebounds. Absolutely, uh, yes. And so they both were uh, very. Uh, effective scorers on the inside. Uh, they were very good medium-range jump shooters, and they both were very good rebounders. Uh, absolutely. All right, so when you saw Tennessee, uh, you know, it. I don't know if you got a chuckle or you're like, oh, man, I mean, wh- what was your reaction? Because obviously, you know, uh, when Dion was there in the 81-82 season, y'all won the Southland Conference and, and, and lost to Tennessee by four in the NCAA tournament. And then there was the, you know, agonizing. I don't know if you still have nightmares for it, but, uh, you know, the, the game against Tennessee in the second round of the NIT. Like, what was your reaction when you saw Tennessee as the opponent? Well, it, it was funny. Uh, Shirley and I were uh, obviously watching the – uh, uh, pairing show uh, as we do uh, every year, and uh, it, uh, it, you know, they kept going and going and going and going, and as it uh, worked down to where they it, they were going to have to come up on the board pretty quick, and I started saying to Shirley already, I said it's Tennessee, <laughs> they're playing Tennessee. <laughs> They're playing Tennessee, and sure enough, it popped up there. Uh, uh, UL and uh, uh, Tennessee, and then in in uh, Orlando, and so we had a we've had a, a lot of history, uh, you know, playing Tennessee, uh, not only in the uh, NCAA tournament, but the as you said uh, in the uh, NIT, and if I'm not wrong, we played them twice, maybe, in the Sugar Bowl tournament uh, in in uh, New Orleans. I, I, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yes, sir. So, you know that I, I I got a chance to communicate a little bit with Dion because working on features with him and his son, and I got a chance to meet his him and his wife during the season, and they were hilarious. His wife during the game, the finals in in, in Pensacola a couple of weeks ago, she she kind of reminded me of me because she had to leave her seat and she was way up at the top, pacing and nervous as could be. So I I got a kick out of that. But Dion wanted me to ask you, like, do you remember that season? Well, the, the the year that y'all ended up playing Tennessee, obviously y'all went to Alaska and won. And how 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 much of a surprise um, were you at when y'all beat Georgetown and Marquette, and I believe it was Washington State to win the Great Alaskan Shootout? Did that surprise you, or did you know you had that good of a team? Well, well, well to tell you the truth, uh, I don't know what the players thought, but uh, we felt like. 
that we had that good of a team because we we had been building and building and building, uh, and uh, uh, so you, you know we had we had uh, a lot of height. We had uh, a lot of uh, uh, inside scores. We had perimeter scores. We we had guys that could play uh, play good defense, and uh, of course, we knew we were coming up against very tough competition uh, in, in in Alaska, and sure enough, ended up you know uh, playing uh, Georgetown, and uh, in fact, that was our closest game was nine points uh, against Georgetown and in, in the tournament and Washington state and then Marquette, uh, in the championship game. Uh, so, you know, we, we felt like that that could be a, uh, a very, very good team. Now, what do you remember? Was there any thoughts or any memories you have specifically about that, um, the the NCAA tournament game against Tennessee, they had Dale Ellis and Michael Brooks, and and you know Dale Ellis, I believe, was a first team All American that year. So obviously they had talent. Uh, what do you remember about that game? Well, <laughs> the first thing I remember, uh, I've lived uh, pretty close to the uh, either the uh, Gulf or the ocean uh, my whole life, and. Uh, in uh, we played in Indianapolis, and that's the first time I've ever been seasick in my life because <laughs> the hotel that they put us in, uh, our room had a waterbed in it, <laughs> so I, I ended up seasick. But uh, we knew that that was going to be a tough challenge, but uh, you know, I think we were every bit as good or maybe even better uh, than Tennessee. We just, we just didn't win the game. And of course, Dale Ellis was one of the best players uh, in the country and went on to have a great uh, career there and a career in, uh, in the NBA. And so, uh, and uh, Don DeVoe, who uh, coached, uh, he was the coach and, Every one of the Tennessee games that uh, we played, uh, I respected him as much as any coach that I've ever known as far as how good a coach he was. And so I knew uh, that was going to be a challenge. But uh, it I can't remember any any real uh, details. I just know it was a, was a close, hard-fought uh, game. Absolutely. So, um, uh, uh, Dion was telling me you got a chance to meet Jordan when he was younger, and I'm sure you followed his career. Uh, how impressed are you with him, and what what do you see in this team that gives you hope that they could win when they get to Orlando? Well, I, that was definitely a treat for me. Uh, to uh, Charlie and I were on a trip, and uh, we were had been. Uh, in Southern California. And then we went up to San Francisco, Northern California. We were coming back by Lake Tahoe and we were, we went through, uh, Sacramento, uh, which is, uh, they live in a suburb, I believe of Sacramento. And, and, 
of all things, we had car trouble just as we were getting to Sacramento. And I, uh, I think, texted Dion to let him know that if he was uh, around and available, I'd like to get a chance to visit him. And uh, we, we had to stop and go to a car dealership. And uh, while we were waiting for him to see what was the problem, uh, Dion called. And uh, I, I, I told him where we were. And he said, don't move. He said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And uh, he was. And then probably within another 10 minutes, uh, his wife was there. And uh, we uh, got to go and visit their home. And uh, it just uh, uh, tremendously enjoyable. And I did get to meet uh, Jordan. And so I've known him had known who he was and kind of followed, you know, where he was and what he was doing in his career. And I had conversations with Dion from time to time. And so, uh, that, that definitely has been a treat. And, uh, he, uh, he, he landed in the right place at the right time at, uh, at UL and, uh, uh, he he has made a, a a big impact on their on their uh, program. Uh, I think he's an excellent player, and they, they have a lot of good players, in fact. But uh, he's he's the ingredient that they probably needed in order to get to the point that they are right now. Now Wayne was telling me that he struggled with free throws, and early in the season, Jordan didn't really struggle, but lately. I don't know if it's in his mind or what. So, what advice would you give him? <laughs> that's a, that's a hard one. Uh, I just get I just tell him to make them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, and Dion it, is it, like the same way. I think it it's uh, uh, it, it's it, you know it is it is a little bit mental and. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's nothing free about it yet. You, uh, uh, have to make it. I think we really should use the term foul shot rather than the free throw because it, it makes people in their minds feel like it's free and you ought to have it for sure. Uh, but, uh, it, it's, uh, not that easy of, of a shot necessarily. And, uh, it's, uh, usually, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the time they, they come in tense moments and close moments of score wise in games where there's a little added ex, extra pressure. But, uh, I got confidence that, that, that he'll make them, uh, that he'll make his free throws in this tournament. All right, Coach. Well, I've gotten a chance to speak to you before, and I got to tell you, it's a real treat. I was just, like I said, when you were the head coach there, I was in 
just before middle school and in high school and right after high school when I started college at then USL. And so it's a treat to talk to you. Thank you for all the great memories and hope you get a chance to, uh, to go to Pensacola. If not, hopefully we can celebrate some Cajun victories. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. If you would like to get in, certainly feel free to call if you want to talk Cajun basketball. The All the going-ons in the NFL. I really thought I was going to wake up to this Tomorrow, this morning to Aaron Rodgers having signed because there were some tweets yesterday from Jets players that made it seem like they got the information that it was official. So, like, why don't they just do, – like, what are they waiting for? Just It's so crazy with him. He's just nuts. But, um, you know, I, I think everyone is assuming that's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. But I don't know if that's hurting them in terms of free agent guys. Because, look, a lot of guys signed yesterday all over the league. Broncos signed a bunch of people, the Arnolds, the Falcons, the Browns, all these teams signing people. I mean, I'm, I don't know if the Jets were interested in any of those guys, but maybe they were. Um, just nuts. But, anyway, if any thoughts you had on the NFL, certainly – College baseball and softball or to be, you know, the Cajuns play Jackson State tonight, who's 12 and 2. They haven't played a real difficult schedule, but they are 12 and 2. Um, and then they play Mississippi State tomorrow. I mean, it's just a crazy time around the Cajun athletic department. Tomorrow's UL Pro Day. I'm not even going to be able to do it because I'm going to be on my way to Florida. And then, you know, we then they play Mississippi State in Biloxi. It's just crazy. Yep, I'll be at Pro Day, so um, stay tuned for that. I should have some stuff coming out of that. But, yeah, that Jackson State team scoring like nine and a half runs a game, too. They can hit. They got a guy who's hitting like 450 with three homers, a bunch of RBIs. Now, again, yeah, they haven't played anyone, but they've scored some runs, so uh, it'll be a good test once again. Pitchers can get tested. Blake McGee is scheduled to start. I don't know if he's going to go two innings. It'd be great if he could, like, you know, have some economy innings because he walked his one start against Rice. He walked five or six, as I remember. Maybe maybe it was six. Um, he he didn't give up any runs, but he but he but he struggled to throw strikes. So hopefully he can. Well, the most important thing is that he feels right health wise, and then hopefully uh, he can throw strikes and have an economy inning or two, and maybe even get three innings in. Who knows? We'll see how. That plays out, and then I'm sure, depending, you know, whoever, I don't know, maybe Moody's starting. I, I don't know what the plan is for Wednesday. It might have to do with who or Tommy Ray maybe starting on, on Wednesday. You know, we'll, we'll 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 see how that plays out. And you know, 
softball is starting conference play this weekend in Hattiesburg, and they are, you know, kind of taking a different approach in that they don't have any midweek games this week or next week. Baseball's doing the opposite. They're starting conference play this weekend at home against Arkansas State, and they have two midweek games this week and two midweek games next week. So um, just a little kind of bizarre there the way that worked out. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. What? Yes, sir. What's going on, my brother? How you doing? Uh, you know, I always got to call and roll up your blood, the blood pressure. Okay. But uh, uh, I this might not roll up your blood pressure too much, but it might be a good thing. Okay. I, I I got a notification that the Yucks are trying to target your favorite draft pick from 2015 from the Cleveland Browns. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield to the Yucks. To the Yucks. <sighs> That would be, wouldn't that be unbelievable? Uh, you know, I, I kind of, I mean, the, the Arnold's already tried him and, and that didn't work out. Um, that, that, you know, I, I don't know where he's going to end up. I guess the Yucks make as much sense as anybody else, but yeah, I, I, I hope he's the starter. Well, I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, I know Sam Dona went to the, the cheaters, but I mean, they're already going to be banking on either, uh, Brock Purdy or Trey Lance, so he's pretty much just going to be a professional clipboard holder again. Yeah, I think he's just an insurance policy just in case, you know, Lance and Purdy are not healthy, which, you know, both of them currently aren't. So, um, you know, I can't. I think he's just like a – he's got some experience in the league, so he's kind of a veteran insurance policy. That makes sense. Uh, I don't know what – I don't know what Bay – I don't know why anybody would want Baker Mayfield. But, I mean, wouldn't it be – you know, wonderful. We we were all worried about maybe not signing Derek Carr, and then I called you weeks ago about uh, the Saints possibly being a landing spot for Baker Mayfield. But wouldn't it be wonderful if he came in the division as trash as he is to come to the Yucks? Uh, be, I, I, I'd that, be all that, for it. That'd be wonderful. I mean, I don't know how good – I mean, Kyle Trask, I mean, I, I don't – they talking like they, they're ready to give him the job. I'm all for it, but I, I have no idea how good he is. Look, all, all I got to say is go Cajuns. Uh, I, I was a senior in high school uh, right before I started at USL, uh, back when they played Oklahoma in 92. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually like the Cajuns' chances. I know Seth Davis and uh, uh, a guy that runs a, a – uh, Shelby Mass runs a website, Bracket WAG, talked to Jordy yesterday. He's picking the Cajuns. I mean, Jordan Brown and Greg Williams are former Division One P5 players, so – I mean, they do have a shot, plus the Kai's Eagles for Tennessee is out. So uh, I like their chances. I, I definitely take that 10 in the hook. I think a lot of people are going to take the 10 in the hook. I agree with you. Go Cajuns, and uh, you have a good day. Folks. You too. Thank you very much, sir. Right. You know, yesterday I, I did an interview uh, with a uh, radio station in Knoxville, and they were not real high on Tennessee. Uh, you know, they don't like – Tennessee, I mean, obviously it's at a little bit of a higher level, but Tennessee sounds very similar to the Cajuns team last year, uh, especially late in the regular season in that they they, lost, they they had point guard issues because of an injury, 
and they really struggled to finish games, and they've really struggled more defensively at point guard, I mean, in the guard position than they normally do. Overall, the thing that worries me about them in terms of the matchup is that they have big people inside, multiple big people inside that may not be great scores, but they can take turns defending and, and harassing Jordan. And they are really good on the over the course of the season of preventing the three, among the best in the nation at defending the three. So that part of the matchup I do not like. Yeah, the interesting thing, too, and, and yeah, you mentioned the people in Knoxville, and like I said, I have a, a friend who's a pretty close follower of Tennessee basketball and a grad from there, and he said he doesn't like their chances at all. Like, the, I guess internally there's just not a lot of optimism right now. Uh, the they other haven't been is, playing well, and I don't no, know that they, they have great team chemistry, so I get it. But And you, know. you take a look at their recent NCAA tournament history since 2018. Uh, they've only won more than one game once, and a couple of those teams were kind of supposed to. One of those teams was a two-seed, two of them were three-seeds. Um, you know, back to 2019 when they were a two seed, they struggled with 15 seed Colgate in the first round, got through it, then beat 10 seed Iowa in overtime, and then lost to Purdue in the Sweet 16. Then the next year, they get upset by a 12 seed in the first round, Oregon State in 20, or they actually, of course, 20. The season was canceled, 21. Then in 22, they beat 14 seed Longwood and then lose to an 11 seed in Michigan. So like they haven't had a recent track record of making deep runs, even though some of those teams were kind of supposed to. Remember that team with Grant Williams. Uh, that yes. was supposed to be a team that was going to go deep, and you know they ended up losing, you know, fairly early in the tournament. So I think that's part of it too, with that that kind of pessimism within the Tennessee fan base. Is like, here we go again. We have a decent team that's not great, um, you know. Again, a very good team, but as far as the tournament teams at the top, right? There's not a lot of optimism over there. So maybe that's a chance. <laughs> now I don't know if the team feels that lack of confidence, but maybe they do because <clears throat> they've been yeah, here a couple you times know, and again, they've struggled. They, they look like a team. That that is not on top of their game, maybe not as mentally together and strong as they they were earlier this season, and so they're ripe for the picking. But you still got to make shots. You got to make enough three pointers. You got to make free throws, and you got to be able to defend all of that stuff. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll take a timeout and come back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You can call in and say Pete Rose deserves to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You can call and proclaim that the Houston Astros were the only team that stole signs. Just know this. Foot will disagree with you. Call into Footnotes with Kevin Foot at 337-706-0111. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline, 706-0111, 706-0111. We mentioned the Cajuns were playing Jackson State tonight, Mississippi State tomorrow in Biloxi. LSU's having a midweek game. They're playing UNO um, tonight, 6.30 at the box before opening up SEC play in College Station on Friday, UNO baseball was kind of in the news indirectly this past weekend because there was a strike three called 
or a strike two and a strike three called in a game between Mississippi Valley State and UNO that went, you know, all over the social media and a lot of people were angry and I understand why. But I want to give a different, a little different perspective about that. I um I get the pleasure when I go to Cajun baseball games to sit by a I say an old coach. He he was he um Danny Cook, he played for the Cajuns many years ago. Uh, his son played for the Cajuns. I first met Danny when he was a American Legion coach, and I was doing covering a lot of American Legion in the eighties. He was um, the the coach for what was it, Mister Cook at the time, and um, coached the Lafayette High American Legion team. And now he's the official scorer for the Cajun baseball team. And so we get to sit and talk a lot. In the middle of all that, Danny was also an umpire. He's obviously the the coach at Scott Middle for many years as well. But anyway, one of the points that that Danny and I were discussing because of that highlight that uh, that that it's just good to remember. So it doesn't mean you have to change your opinion on that situation, but it's just good to keep in the back of your mind. And that if you're a football official. And someone disrespects you, a player disrespects you, you can always throw an unsportsmanlike flag shy of, of ha- having to eject the player. <clears throat> In basketball, if a player says or does something that disrespects the official, they can call a technical foul on you shy of having to eject you and throw you out of the game. As a baseball umpire... There is, there really isn't anything else. You either throw them out of the game or if they disrespect you in a way that you don't like, you can call a ball a strike or vice versa, depending on if it's the pitcher. In other words, I think what happened, and again, I don't know the umpire or the situation. I think what happened in that is the he felt like the player tried to show him up because he was – pointing the bat where the ball was on it was more it was more the strike two call was borderline it was probably a ball but it was it was close um and he he felt like the the batter showed him up so and he did what in his mind is the basketball official version of a technical foul by ringing him up which has happened forever in baseball the problem is in today's era so many games are on ESPN3, and, and you can't get away with that stuff. It's going to go on Twitter and on whatever, all these different formats, and and you're going to get ridiculed. So umpire's a little bit of a disadvantage in that situation, and now in the era where so many games are televised, it's a lot harder for them to get away with that. So let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Kevin. Yes, sir. How you doing, my friend? Good, sir. Good. Are you familiar, are you aware that Cole Kelly has signed a contract with the Memphis Showboats? I don't know that I knew that. No, sir. But that, I mean that, that's that's the gospel truth. So hopefully that would be a stepping stone uh, for him to get into the NFL, which is still puzzling why he's not on the NFL roster. I, I still don't understand how these NFL gurus can can be so wrong. But I, I, I'm surprised he has not gotten more of a chance. I agree with you. Yes, 
I mean, Mel Kiper on the second day of the draft uh, had him as one of the top five, uh, you know, athletes available for the second day of the draft. And uh, he went to the Combine in Indianapolis and he even went to Las Vegas for the NFL, sent him there just for the do's and don'ts, you know, just to give an orientation to the NFL. And, right. Uh, we'll see what happens. So hopefully this is a good stepping stone for him because I'm still puzzled. I agree. All you need is an opportunity. You never know what's going to happen. I appreciate you letting us know. Thank you very much. All right, my friend. Thank you, Kevin. Um, no, I, I thought Cole would get a better run as an undrafted free agent as well. Um, got the size in the arm, but um, I, I don't know. Who knows? And, and good, just because one team says no doesn't mean other teams, if you get an opportunity, won't give you that. So we'll see what happens. There. That's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. <clears throat> Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We are broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Again, we talk. Uh, we talked to got a treat. Talked to former Raging Cajun basket, head basketball coach Bobby Pascal, and you know he reminded me of something that I thought about earlier this week. Coach Marlin mentioned a couple times how he's pretty tight. And 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 friendly with Coach Barnes, who's the Tennessee coach. And I remember Coach Pascal always having a good relationship with Don DeVoe, who's the head coach at Tennessee uh, in in the eighties. And so it's just you know kind of some more parallels there. And yeah, I, I'm kind of focusing on Tennessee versus the Cajuns in the postseason, those three postseason games. Did a story for the Advocate, the Acadiana Advocate, in the Advocate.com yesterday, kind of reminiscent about that 2000 game in the NCAA tournament in Birmingham where the Cajuns really kind of got a raw deal at the end of that game from the officials. The last 40 seconds or whatever was kind of a disaster. But um, but the and, but Coach Pascal brought up the fact that you know, they did beat them in other games, and Mike mentioned that yesterday. Of course, we're not, I mean, you know, I'm just kind of focusing on the postseason because we're in the postseason here. But, but yeah, so certainly any thoughts you have on that, anything going on in the NFL, college baseball or softball um, going on right now. And Pelicans play tonight. They need a win. Yeah, they play your Lakers. Yeah, the Lakers, yeah. Uh Lakers have been playing better. They've been playing better. Now, they lost to the Knicks, but they've been playing better. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Well, let's run back some memories, Kevin. Listen to Coach Pascal. Oh, yes. His voice sounds exactly the same. Oh, I remember that. I had season six back then when the, when the Cajuns was the last year in black. Man. I used to, that was some good teams in there, man. He was a good coach. He was a good excellent nose coach, too, just like Marlon. Yeah, uh, you know, they played good defense, and uh, no, I agree. They did a great job, and they had some great victories. Okay, now let's go back to this, to this game we're going to play against Tennessee. Well, I sure hope, uh, uh, you know, that 
Well, I hope Bowling watched the game like uh, is studying that game against uh, South Alabama the championship, and that he thinks Seamus Post is a great uh, point guard and does this all the time. Now, we know Seamus doesn't do this all the time when he did against South Alabama because I am so worried the way, I'm, you know, I'm maybe seeing my glasses half into right now that Seamus is going to have a lot of turnovers against uh, Tennessee. We, we need to make sure every time we have the ball in our offense, we get a shot. And, and, you know, even if the fans don't get a shot off, the, I think the turnovers with them leading out to them to get easy baskets is going to be the way we can lose that game. Um, no, I, I think, you know, at times turnover has been a problem um, for the Cajuns. You know, they've had games where they had 16, 17, 18 turnovers in one. Now, if they do that against Tennessee, chances are they're not going to win. Uh, and, and again, my concern is, are they going to be able to, they have enough size inside to not shut down Jordan maybe, but at least keep him from having a great game. And if they continue to defend the three and the Cajuns only hit two or three or four threes, it may not be enough. So I, that, that's what I'm worried about. Well, Kevin, you know what? If they are going to defend the threes, I guess, I think the two players we're going to have to count on is to get these mid-range jumpers. It's going to be Southport and Greg Williams. You know, sometimes when these teams are guarding the line so much, and then and they, they Jordan Gordon, it's not those shots right around the free throw line or what's going to get us uh, the, the, the offense. And that, well, that's Terrence Lewis. Well, okay, Terrence yeah. Lewis, too. I mean, you got all three of them. Down court left the two right there, too. You know, I, and I think this this game right here, if the point guards are giving us problems, I mean, to, uh, or not doing good, I think this could be a game for Kobe. No, I you know, I thought about that, that Kobe could, you know, I'm hoping he can knock down a couple threes as well. No, I did have that thought yesterday. Yes, I agree. I think because against Tennessee, we're going to need to have the most athletic players to match up with them. That's why I think Dalcourt and Kobe bring more athleticism to us against them. And I think that's where we're going to need to match up with them and win this game. We're going to have to do something different than we do regular. I, I, I'm almost sure that's what it's going to have to be for us to win. So all have a good day. All right. Appreciate the call. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Kev? Good, sir. Good. Hey, uh, you know, sticking on UL, I, I'm I'm real concerned about I'm real concerned about Greg, and and I'm gonna tell you and I'm gonna tell you why. You know, he he missed the whole second half of of the finals in the Sun Belt game with a with a toe injury, and I don't know the severity of it, but. I've heard turf toe, and 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 that that may end up putting him out of that game. And something the last caller and you talked about, I really think that that means Kobe is going to be the guy that's going to have to step up. And and I'm worried about defense too because Tennessee's going to put us in a half court game. That means we're going to have to transition and push the ball. That's not something that we have done a lot of all year long. I don't know if it's something that we're very good of. Now, you know, if we get a steal and finish and, and transition, that's one thing. But to try to push and use speed as an advantage, I think this is going to be a very low-scoring game. I don't even know what the over and under is on this game, but I'm predicting a very low 60s. You know, whoever wins is going to probably win in the in the low 60s. Um, that's my thought. And, and, I mean, everything else that you touched on, is you know it's 
exactly how I feel about it. But really, the elephant in the room is really how much is Greg Williams going to play and be able to play? You right. Know, I know well, he's it's one. Go. I, I think for sure shot. he'll play. I would be shocked if he didn't play. But that, to your point, that doesn't mean he's going to be effective, and and that doesn't mean he's going to be able to play. You know, twenty eight <laughs> minutes or whatever. So. Yeah, it's a concern. Now, Greg, we interviewed him again yesterday. I saw him at the selection show on Sunday, and he's like, I'm good, I'm good. I'm." I... But, again, that doesn't mean he's going to be effective, so we'll see. You're right. They need him. Yep, he's going he's gonna to be big in it, and, and you you know, just like you said, they're going to crash the boards. They have they have three big guys. Uh, Terrence, and, Terrence is going to have to, you know, really show up and shine. You know, I know they got him listed as six seven, six eight. You know, I mean, he's every bit. I can look him in the eyes, Kevin. You know, I, I'm six four, and when I'm looking at somebody in the eyes, I, you know, they they list that a little little differently. But I mean, when that collapse happens, Jordan's going to have to get that ball, try to get that ball inside the Terrence and and Greg or Kobe. Whoever, I mean, they're going to have to crash those boards uh, if we don't, if we don't, and get some offensive rebounds. I mean, that's it's going to be a fun game, and I think Tennessee is just in the. I mean, we could beat this team, but we're going to have to have some things go our way. Talk to you later. Appreciate the call. No, I, I agree with that, and um, I also agree that Terrence is not six seven, but I mean that's not uncommon. I mean, you know, you get you get that all the time. Um, no, I, I think it's winnable, but you still got to play well. I, you know, I, I, I heard, I hear everything everybody's saying about Tennessee, and I get it. And I get why people are saying that's an upset because they have not finished the season very strong. I get that too. But you still got to knock down threes, and you still got to be able to, um, you know, make free throws and do all the things and, and keep the turnovers down. Over-unders 136.5, so um... – what he said, low sixties. That's not too far off. They're, you know, they're predicting it more in the mid to high sixties. But, um, yeah, that's interesting though. And I hadn't really thought of that in in a game like this. And I'm still kind of trying to learn a little bit more about this Tennessee team as the week goes on. But w- would you feel more comfortable in a lower scoring game, the way they had to play against Texas State, or would you rather them, you know, maybe the Cajuns hit a bunch of threes and kind of run this into a higher scoring, high paced game? I mean, probably, yeah. But I don't. I just don't see that happening. I just, you know, unless all the hype about how good they are defensively and the guys that they have inside that can, that can body and take turns, you know, trying to body Jordan. Unless all of that is just off base, which I have trouble believing that it's off base. I, I just, I, I would not expect it to be as, you know, like in the eighties or something. I, I don't. I don't see that happening. Yeah, and, and again, like one thing that has me just a little bit of cause for concern, and I guess maybe this is where Vegas got their number of being so high when they released the line at 13. Again, it's down to 10.5 now. Tennessee this year, they played Tennessee Tech to start the year. They beat them by 32. They played Florida Gulf Coast. They beat them by 31. They played Butler. They beat them by 26. They played McNeese. They beat them by 36. They beat Alcorn by 54. They beat Eastern Kentucky by 35. So, you know, they beat Austin P by 32. Like, they didn't... Every non-conference game against a team that they should have beaten, they destroyed. Now, they didn't play any great group of, you know, mid-major non-conference games. They didn't play a team like UL in that stretch, you know? I mean, we know McNeese wasn't good at all this year. We know um, Alcorn didn't have a very good year. So, like, 
I don't know how much you draw from that, but the point being, they didn't like have these close calls against mid-major right. teams throughout the year. Now, a lot of that was early when they were healthy and playing really well. Yeah, I, I, that's I think true. people weren't down on them at mid-season. I think they're down on them now because they did lose the guard and they seem to be relatively dysfunctional since then. <coughs> it's yeah. not like they're getting blown out. What they're saying is, and again, very similar where the Cajuns were last year, which is why the Cajuns went out and got Themis, is that game after game after game, they would be either have a lead or they'd be right there, tie with like two or three minutes to go, and they would never seem to finish, and they weren't they weren't finishing games. James, Themis was brought in to finish games, and he, he kind of had a slump late in the season, but... He, he played, uh, obviously, tremendous in the Sunbelt Conference Final, and hopefully he can continue to finish. Early on, when he penetrated, he finished the majority of the time. He went through a stretch in conference play where he wasn't finishing anymore, but he finished against uh, South Al in the final, so hopefully he can continue that. And, you know, another interesting thing, so Tennessee's leading scorer is Vescovi, um, and Vescovi is a talented guard. He's a guy, but he takes a ton of three-point shots, and he's a very good three-point shooter, almost 37%. Um, but other than that, they're not a great three-point shooting team. They only shoot 33% as a team, and that's with his numbers kind of elevating that, right? Because he's taken the most and he's got the best percentage. So if you're able to neutralize Vescovi, which the Cajuns have been pretty good at taking away team now. In South Alabama, they let Zay Moore do what he wanted, but that was, again, I think more of a strategic approach, and that wasn't an outside scoring guy. He's a guy who right. doesn't take threes at all. So if you're able to, if Cantrell, or, you know, I, I would imagine it's going to be more Cantrell than Greg, especially given how healthy, you know, Cantrell is compared to Greg. If Cantrell's able to take Vescovi out a little bit, you start to maybe force Tennessee to get some offense from some other guys. And now they've got a bunch of guys that are averaging right around 10 a game. They're not a team that has one dominant score. Vescovi leads the team at 13 a game. But Ziegler's an 11, a point, 11 points a game guy who they're not going to have. They're going to have to get scoring from other places. And I think if you do that then you might be in pretty good shape. I'm starting to like the matchup a little more than I did at the beginning of the week. Will be interesting. We'll be talking more about that tomorrow. And with our next guest on the other side of this timeout, former Cajun basketball player Byron Starks, who's done some analyst work for the Cajuns on TV this year, so he's seen him play quite a bit. We'll be talking with our old friend Byron next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us a special guest, LSU men's basketball coach, former Raging Cajun great, and he also kind of moonlights, does a little analyst work uh, for the Cajuns broadcast on ESPN3, Mr. Byron Starks. How are you, sir? Doing fine. How are you doing today, Kevin? Oh, doing pretty good. Busy, busy week. About to make my way to or prepare to make my way to Orlando, see what the Cajuns can do. And I'm, I'm sure you've got to see them quite a bit this year. How, how exciting is this? Well, I tell you what, it's very exciting. This is what March Madness is all about. And we're so excited that the Cajuns are going dancing to give our institution and our fans something to 
contingency during the month of March. So I know uh, Eric probably did the most of them, but I know you you know did a couple of uh, filling in and uh, done some of the games. What have you seen about this team as you watched them during the season when you get a chance that you like and that gives you some hope that they could uh, could win a game in Orlando? Well, well, when I did my analytical work on analyst work, I, I did the majority of the games with the women, but I did watch the men as a fan. I've gone to a couple of their games. I've also watched them on uh, ESPN Plus as well. Uh, very good team. You know, I know Jordan Brown makes them go. Um, extremely a very good big man. Um, exciting to watch. Um, I think he's my wife's favorite player on the team, other than Greg Williams, who I coach as well. Uh, but I think with those dynamic players on the floor, Anything can happen, and of course, doing March Madness. Just you know, this is to all of the other analysts talking about the game. Looks like the Cajuns have a very good chance of winning this game. Has to do your heart well, you know. Uh, you know the kind of character Greg has, and you know when he got here, transferred from St. John's, he started out playing a little point guard. It didn't really work out, and he kind of never really got into a groove until like the last five games of the season last year. He played really well, and then he carried it over, and he's had a fantastic season this year. So as an ex-coach of his, I'm sure that did your heart well. Oh, yes, indeed. Greg has always been a glue guy. He's been one of those guys that, hey, coach, whatever it takes to win, I'll do it. Um, and he's, he's always been a winner, and he finds ways to get things done. And even if he's not scoring a whole lot, he still makes such an impact on the game, whether it's defensively, uh, making plays for his teammates, and just you know, finding ways to get to the free throw line. So he's going to be fun to watch. I know it's been a moment that he's probably been waiting for for a long time. He's won two championships in high school. Uh, but this is an opportunity to go on the big stage as well, nationally, after winning the Sunbelt Tournament Championship. Yeah, he every time we see him since, uh, you know, Pensacola, he is, uh, he is all smiles for sure. So... <laughs> I know that, you know, when you played on that team in 92 and were a 13 seed, playing a four seed, just like the Cajuns are here against Tennessee uh, on, on Thursday, you didn't think it would be this long before they won again. So I know that you and your teammates are not like the 72 Dolphins hoping this lasts forever and you don't celebrate when the Cajuns lose. You really want them to win, right? Oh, it's no doubt about it. We're part of the institution, and we cage it through and through. I feel like the uh, program has moved in the right direction, especially this season, and getting to that, that point. And I think you know it's, it's about time. You know, it's been what 30, 30 plus years. I know since uh, one of the teams have advanced. I know they came came close to Tennessee. Uh, what was that two thousand two? And, and now they can you know, have a chance to do it again, kind of relive it. So what do you do? Do, do I'm, I know I'm sure you see Eric fairly often, but how, how many of the guys do you still communicate from that team in '92? Uh, quite a bit, you know. Bobby Thigpen and I stay in constant contact. I talk with Marcus Stokes at least once or twice a month. Uh, Todd Hill, of course, he's around here in the area, so he and I was just texting this morning, and we have a group chat as well. So uh, every now and then, maybe. You know, it could be on the weekend or so. Somebody will send something. And, and so we're still well connected. And I think that's a huge part of a team and a program winning. And I know Coach Marlin has mentioned it a couple of times on some of the posts of how well connected those guys are. And it doesn't matter how skilled you are. If you're not connected, 
you're going to have a tough time beating any team. And I think that's a plus going into the tournament. I've always said, you know, even as a coach, that at this stage, tactics, you know, strategy is important, but it's going to be more about the will and some of that skill in this process. What do you remember about some of the games and in particular the win over Oklahoma when you think back and talk to some of your teammates about kind of y'all glory days there? Well, you you know, they had Jeff Webster during that time, an All-American, and I can remember the hype. You know, they were talking how good um, he was, which he was uh, a good player. But we understood our mission, and many people – uh, some may remember, some may not. My freshman year, we went to Oklahoma. Uh, we beat them on the last second shot. So this game was being built up as if hey, Oklahoma has a better team. They're likely going to win it. And, you know, I've never been a player that buy into too much of the hype. We, we got on the floor. Our mission was let's just get together and let's win. And and I think it's just, you know, at this stage, it's a matter of guys you know, understanding their role, you know, don't be so concerned about the players in the in the other jersey, but be more concerned about what your job is and what you need to do to win the game. Now, the you, you had a great victory, and you know y'all had guys that could shoot. Like uh, you know, you were an incredible, con- incredibly consistent shooter. Tony Moore could really shoot, and then you had inside guys that can play some defense. And you know that that was a great win, and really. Uh, you know, I don't know if you ever still lose sleep because you're, you know, you're probably a more forgiving. That that lost in New Mexico State with all the free throws they shot and as few free throws as y'all shot. Is that game still a little tough to swallow when you think back to it? Well, if you saw one of my posts last week, we were three minutes and forty six seconds away from a Sweet Sixteen game, uh, and, and of course you go back and you look at the stats. Uh, but, you know, there were some things that we could have controlled as well. But it's one of those moments that stick in your brain, even as I coach to this day, you know, talk about assignment basketball. And, and I think we were down three at that moment, and that was a stagger screen set for one of the shooters. And I got caught up on the stagger screen, and they hit the three, and that tied the game at that particular moment. So uh, I think those things that you, you kind of relive and say, man, what if? But in my coaching, it has helped me a lot because this is assignment time and you don't have much room for mistakes. So from what you uh, – I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see Tennessee this year, but from what you know about them or if you've gotten a chance to see them in any games, what 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 what, what do you kind of feel like is the key for the Cages if they're going to pull off this upset? Well, you know, with Tennessee losing their point guard, I know it hurts them. Uh, and they had a, a little time – between then and now to kind of, I guess, go over the game plan and how they want to patch those things up. And when they lost to Auburn, it wasn't like Auburn, you know, blew them out. Of course, it was senior night at Auburn uh, when they played that game. But they're still going to be contenders. You know, you're part of the SEC, you're a Power 5 school. Uh, those guys have pride in that locker room. And, and I think the Cajuns have to do what they need to do to combat that. You know, how, how much or what can they take away uh, from the Tennessee team, you know, some of their best players. You know, Viscovi can shoot the three. Uh, he's been there. He's a veteran. So hopefully the Cajuns can come in with a good game plan. Uh, both, you look at synergy, both have very good ratings, uh, excellent ratings on the defensive side of the ball. And the Cajuns are slightly better than them offensively. So it'll be a good matchup. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be great fun now. 
It's we're gonna have to see, we're gonna have to do some uh, I don't know drink some coffee or something. This is gonna be a late one. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be late. But my wife and I we've already planned our little date at the house. You know, we like to sit in front of the television and and of course now that the cages are planned, it's gonna be you know our heart will be ticking even more so. Absolutely. Well, look, we appreciate your time. Great talking to you. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for the great memory. I remember exactly where I was watching that game in 92, and hopefully they can uh, pull that one off again. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, Kevin, and go Cajuns. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us our good friend, Mr. Bobby Nova. How are you, sir? I'm good, my friend. How are you? Well, I don't. I'm doing. I'm hanging in there. I had a. I had the great pleasure of um, interviewing Coach Pascal, and I know that you attended many games that Coach Pascal was a part of uh, many years ago. Oh, for sure. I mean, those days in Blackham were were amazing. Lots of lots of fun, and uh, I I haven't uh, talked to you on the air uh, in a while. So, like, what what, what was your uh, what were your impression of 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 before we get to Cajun softball, um, the Derek Carr signing, and how all of that worked out? Well, it's exciting. I you know, um, it's better than crawfish, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and and then hearing this morning that. Uh, you know, Jameis Winston is, is going to stay with the uh, the Saints. Uh, I think that provides him a, a good backup plan, you know. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but, again, better than crawfish. In my <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, all right, so, you know, we, we, we heard Coach uh, Glasgow at yesterday's presser, and, and, and it was pretty obvious that, he is conflicted about how to move forward with the lineup, and, and and there's just a lot of decisions to be made and a lot of options, and um, it, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens now that this kind of the bulk of the gauntlet pre-conference schedule is over, and they can get on a little bit more of a routine. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, uh, I guess when you have that much talent. You know, it can be good and it can be a little bit bad at the same time. And Coach Glasgow has been trying to figure some things out throughout the uh, pre-conference uh, schedule. And I think he's got an, an idea of kind of how he wants to handle uh, the roster, you know, as far as, you know, when he wants to put an offensive lineup out there and then when he wants to switch to a defensive lineup. So kind of what I've been seeing the last, you know, eight or ten games. You know, I try to remind myself as well as the listeners as often as possible that we we tend to only look at the games and the score and the coach and the opponent, and we don't think about, you know, a lot of other factors that go on off the field. And, and, and Coach 
Glasgow reminded us of that yesterday. For instance, on Sunday morning, not only did you play a game at 8 a.m. against Mercer and then had to play Florida again, it came, you know, at the end of this grueling five weeks. I mean, look, this y'all have been on the road forever, it seems like, and and not like going to Lake Charles and back either. And so it's been a it's been a rough five weeks. You you had daylight savings, so you lost an hour of sleep Saturday, and you're in the eastern time zone, and I'm sure your bodies are still kind of adjusted to the central time zone. And, and, and so, and you're playing a game at 8 a.m. So it was almost like you were playing it at 6 a.m. Kind of give us a flavor of like that. There's no way the team was ready to play that game against Mercer Sunday morning. Well, when you know, in the lobby at 6 a.m. Sunday morning, I didn't get a good feeling, to, to be honest <laughs> with you. And, uh, you know, I mean, we were all tired, not just the players. So I can about imagine how the players felt Sunday morning. But, you know, there's just some adversity that you got to be able to overcome. And I'm just so happy that we're done with tournaments because it it seems like when you go on the road to play a tournament and, and, you know, you're the best team in the tournament besides the host, you always play the last game on on the night before and then the first game the next day. Yeah. Uh, You know, so they, you know, they certainly don't try to make it easy for you and, I don't, you know, I guess I don't blame them in a way, but I'm so happy the tournaments are over with, and this week we can kind of get back into somewhat of a normal routine. Although the Cajuns are going to be on the road this weekend, you know, we don't have a midweek game, and it's a short trip, so I think the team is going to be traveling on uh, Friday morning, and then next week uh, again no midweek game, and then a home series. So looks like the next couple of weeks, you know they'll be able to spend a lot more time uh, practicing and trying to, you know, get back to where they want to get. So I, I think it's a good good time in the schedule uh, right now for, you know, to try to get back to some type of normalcy, which hasn't been the case the last five weeks. So, you know, because, Lewis, you've played uh, 27 games, and I think eight of them are at home. So that that's a lot of road games. That's pas bon. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's not good for sure. So, uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that I, you know, I, it was pretty obvious early on that she had off-season surgery that that Kendra was not going to be play quite a big a role at least at first, and yet her last couple outings kind of tell me that. It's too early to to take her out of the overall plan, and that she can really be a big part of this pitching staff still. No doubt, you know, no doubt. She kind of bailed us out against Rutgers on Friday. You know, when she came in in the first inning and um, you know pitched most of the rest of that game, and then on the Sunday morning again came in and bailed us out against Mercy. You know, that's a that's a game that the Cajuns were you know fortunate to win and kind of escaped with the win, and she had a big part in that. As You know, she came in with the bases loaded, I think, and one out and got out of that inning and then pitched some more, uh, you know, the rest of the rest of the game. She, you know, she was able to shut down Mercer and give the Cages a, a chance to win that game three to two. And, you know, they kind of just kind of slept to walk through that game and then turning around and playing Florida. You know, they brought it back in. I think she might have faced two or three hitters against Florida and had a trouble finding the strike zone in that one. But she was certainly a bright spot over the weekend. 
in that you know in that tournament over in Florida, and I think she's going to be a, a big part of the uh, of the uh, pitching staff, you know, as we get into conference play in the second half of the season. So, you know, adding adding another piece that that can you know help you win some some games is big going into uh, conference play, and like I said, the second half of the season. Believe it or not, we're you know after the game on uh, after the Friday game at Southern Miss, we'll be exactly halfway through the season. That 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 is amazing. All right, so uh, I know you might have some issues, but 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 do you think if the if Coach Glasgow needed you, could you play third base? <laughs> yeah, um, I could give it a shot. Man. I, I played third base. <laughs> You know, growing up in in the neighborhood, you know, <laughs> I, I play third base sitting down on the ground. And, uh, as long as they hit the ball right to me, I was pretty good. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but it, it it is an issue. I mean, it was an issue going into this season. Like you say, we're one game away. We're essentially halfway through the season. And if you said, okay, who will be the starting third baseman when they when that when in the first game of the conference tournament and then a regional, like I have no idea who that's going to be. Well, I can only guess, and and you know this is, you know, just uh, my opinion and kind of seeing what I've seen. You know, I, I think maybe for the rest of the season you may see either uh, Matty Hayden or, or Vic Valdez at third, and then you know you never know. This week at practice, you may be trying some different people there and. Uh, you know, it's just been it's been a, a position that's been hard to uh, to replace ever since uh, Grimmy on with uh, left. You know, I think where last year was either I think it was eighteen, and uh, you know it's kind of been a revolving door in that position ever since uh, she she left us in eighteen, and she was one of the best that ever played there. So. We well, got to figure we, that position we, out, that's for sure. Yes. I mean, we got spoiled, I guess, with Fernandez and then Grimio. And then, you know, you had you had Melissa Verde before that. You had uh and I can't remember her name. Um just it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, it, but we've it, had, you know, before Grimio, we had some really good third basemen. Yeah, and uh, so it, it it's been an issue. But also you know, Kylie Griffin has shown the ability to hit, and 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 I'm sure he doesn't want to not use her bat. So, uh, you know, she's going to have to play somewhere at some point. Uh, I guess she could be an option there. She could. You know, that's, that may be something that uh, that you know they may they may try to figure out and and, and work on some at at practice this week and see if she can if she can handle that position. And you know, obviously, she's definitely another option. I still think Maddie Hayden is the, is the best option, and so we'll just see what happens moving moving forward there. So, um, Southern, you know, the Sun Belt Conference, Texas State had a banner weekend. Southern Mississippi got a new coach; they got a pretty good record. I believe they're fifteen and five. Coach Glasgow said, and so um, I think it's good. Um, you know, you want well, Kevin, the conference twelve, 12 uh, ten of the twelve teams in the Sun Belt. And you know we've never really seen this in the past, but ten of the twelve teams in the Sun Belt are going to enter interconference play with with a winning record, you know. And uh, James Madison, who you know they're thirteen and five, and that's out of the ten teams that I mentioned, that that's the worst uh, record going into the the conference conference play, you know. So I'm not for sure 
of uh, you know who who all these teams have played in pre-conference. But like I said, ten of the twelve, Georgia Southern and Georgia State, are the only two teams in the conference that are not playing uh, at least five hundred in pre-conference play. And there are so quite a, a few of those teams are top hundred RPI, and so that's that's progress, and that's that uh, that really helps the Cajuns. Yeah, no doubt about it. The, the Cajuns have thirteen opponents that they'll face from now until the end of the season, and eleven of those are in the top one hundred RPI. So uh, you know that's not something that we're we've seen in the past from the Sun Belt Conference teams. You know, and then when you combine but, uh, all the teams they've played. You know, I think you're, with the RPI right now is what about fifteen for the Cajuns? Well, if if you add, if if you take the average of the nine losses that the Cajuns have, the average RPI is seven point seven. So that gives you an idea of of the competition that the Cajuns have played, you know, in in the first half of the season. And uh, you would you would you would think and trust that the committee will take all of that into account. But got a lot of work to do. Half a season to play. We'll see what happens. Appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you very much. All right, Kevin. Thank you, my friend. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We just gave the promo for the LSU-UNO game and you knows had kind of a wacky season. I'm, I don't kind of hard to figure them out. They're eleven and five, which is a fine record. Um, Jackson State beat them three to nothing, but they have wins over Tulane. They did lose to South Alabama, ten to seven. But you know they've had some other nice wins as well. Now they're fixing to go through a gauntlet here. Like, they play LSU tonight, which obviously no one is expecting them to win. And then they play a three-game series against Texas, which no one is really expecting them to win. And then they open conference play against Lamar. And, and, and I know LSU beat Lamar, but if you remember when, LSU, when Lamar came, LSU, Lamar's record was really good going into that LSU game. What was that last week? And so... Um, I think, uh, you know, they, they're going to, they got a lot of tough games coming up is what I'm saying. And, and, and they've had a few good wins, but they've also, you know, they, three of their wins, they swept Mississippi Valley and apparently got the help from, of course they were going to win that game anyway, that, that controversial call that we talked about, but, but no, I don't. I don't know if on paper UNO is, is even as good as Lamar is, but we'll see how. And, again, it may not matter anyway. But, you know, it's time for LSU to start playing games, and that happens this weekend against Texas A&M with the start of SEC play. You know, they had the nice game against Texas, and they played, you know, Iowa obviously played real well against them, so there were – you know, a little, the round rock tournament was pretty good, but it's pretty much been 
um, face crushings. And uh, now, if you get in, look, there's going to be, LSU's going to have their fair share of face crushings in SEC play as well. But at least you know you're playing someone that on a given day is capable of beating them. And and, and, and so it's, you know, there's there, there's more to analyze and discuss there. So, it you know, it's almost there. It's almost there uh, to where, and we do plan on uh, talking to Cokie Riley to 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 really set up that the start of SEC play, which is gonna you know for big time LSU baseball fans like our friend Manny that that's where the fun really really begins and and the same thing for the Cajuns you know in, in, in Sun Belt play Sun Belt is a really good baseball league on paper. Arkansas State at home this weekend might be the easiest of all their conference series on paper, but again, obviously, it's not um not one on paper. And the Cajuns, as we mentioned in the first hour, have a long a lot of work to do before they get there. They play Jackson State tonight, and then play Mississippi State on Wednesday in Biloxi. All right. Getting back to the NFL before the, uh, we uh, say goodbye to you for today. Um, we talked about that it was a busy day in NFL free agency, on the NFL free agency scene yesterday. And we've talked a long time about how the, K, the, the Saints need a defensive tackle and they lost Gus yesterday, although I don't know how big of a loss as that was because his last two years were very, very disappointing. Um there's been some talk about Jaron Reed. We mentioned that last week. Some stories written about maybe the Saints could be interested in him. He's not going to cost a lot of money. Sean Robinson, defensive tackle for the Rams. There's been some talk about maybe he being a good fit. And again, these are guys that aren't going to cost you. Like you shouldn't have. You should be able to. You shouldn't have to. Gus got twelve million. <laughs> He's not close to that good. Uh, and so it shouldn't cost that much to get guys. These guys are better than Gus. They have a better track record of stopping the run. And on paper, it shouldn't cost as much. Also, former Saint Sheldon Rankins is a free agent. Um, he began his tenure on this show on my, well, um, where I called him Cedric Ellis because I really wasn't that high on that draft pick. And I said, you're going to have to prove that he's not the next Cedric Ellis. And by the end, he did prove it, and I was calling him Mr. Rankins. And so Mr. Rankins decided when he became a free agent to go sign with the Jets. And at the time, like the Jets, kind of like the same time we were like the Bengals with Von Bell, who, by the way, went to the Ardles. Uh, I don't know what all that's about. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have any problem if, if the Saints brought Mr. Rankins back. And so whether it's Rankins or Reed or Robinson or some other similar type free agent, I would like for the Saints to get one of those. And if they still want to draft one, all the better. I mean, they they got to they got to they got to they got to get better play on the interior of the defensive line. It was not good. Shy Tuttle was not good last year and Gus was not good. And so they they've got to get better there. I mean, Street was okay, but they, you know, it, it's a major need area, if not the number one need area on the team right now. So I'd be all for rankings. 
I just want a veteran, and I would like a veteran. Well, I'd like a veteran running back and a veteran defensive tackle and also draft one of each. That's what I would like. Yeah, I would agree there. I, I Again, I, I don't see the losses yesterday being like these big losses that people are freaking out about. Like, you're going to lose players sometimes, uh, and that's okay. But none of those guys that they lost aren't guys that they can't have just as much production or more production from other guys from. Ellis hurts a little bit because you kind of— yeah, and Ellis hurts a little because you kind of was a homegrown, like feel-good story of a guy you weren't expecting much from. But he was the third linebacker on the roster, so like you can't expect to keep the third guy on the depth chart at every position. So you can find another guy to come in and play that role. And look, is Ellis going to go to Atlanta and be really productive? Maybe. What did he get? Do you remember? Money-wise. I didn't see the numbers on Ellis. Yeah, I never I did. Either. Not all of them are, are you know get put out there right away. But uh, I mean, I'll pull it up. But I mean, again, like you can't. You can't keep every good player you have, and and they didn't lose anywhere near some of the guys that I was concerned about. It looks like he got twenty one and a half million, um, and that should be over. That's got to be at least what three years. Three years, twenty one and a half million, eleven million guaranteed. Man, Gus got it's 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 a good amount, but it's not as. I mean, how did why did they pay Gus all that money? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, he's been horrible. And he hasn't I'm very been available either. So. That's uh, I mean, again, it, at that number, you say good riddance, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. So right. I just don't understand. There's a lot of outcry about this. I, I I'm not really that heartbroken about any of them that you lost. No, uh, I'm with you there. So they, 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 those guys are are can definitely be replaced, and hopefully they can uh, do that pretty efficiently. All right. One more day, and then that'll do for the week on the air because I'll be heading to Orlando. So we'll be talking more LSU baseball, UL baseball, and Cajun basketball and such tomorrow. Y'all have a nice day.